Uh, morning, everyone. I'm, uh, if you don't know me, I'm Matt. I'm the student uh, minister here, and I have the privilege of uh, opening the word today as we uh, continue looking at Isaiah to see this new king, as we consider what it is to have an authentic uh, Christmas. And I want to start this morning uh, with a question about whether or not you know much about gardening and particularly pruning. Um, I'm guessing a few people here do. Uh, I certainly don't. And a couple of days ago, I decided to try and propagate a plant. Uh, it hasn't gone well so far. Maybe, maybe there's hope in it, um, but I don't think I'm blessed with the green thumb. Um, but you see, I think the passage that we come to this morning it touches on this idea of, of growth, that something, as it's cut away, can grow back new, and it can be far greater than what it was than before. Our passage uh, this morning, uh, if you open Isaiah 11 with me, it, it starts with a, story, uh, with, a, with a verse that says, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. You see, as we understand this, it's important to look back uh, to the verse before, and Isaiah 10, 34 leaves us this picture where God has cut down the forest, that it cut down the forest thicket with an axe, and there is nothing left. It's this bleak picture where we then come to verse 11. You see, from nothing, from a stump, there is a shoot. And from this shoot, there will be rich growth, far greater growth than I can get off a little uh, plant. This is growth that will last eternity. I uh, see so last week, Toby uh, told us about the longing and rejoicing for the ruler that is to come, for Jesus, uh, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And today we look further into this picture of what the new ruler will be like. That he is far greater than any ruler then or now. From this hopeless little stump, there will be rich growth. Growth of a true king that will never, whose reign will never end. And this morning we're going to look at this a true ruler in three sections. We're going to look at the fitness to rule. Let me go to. We're going to look at the fitness to rule. We'll then look at the character to rule and the peace in his perfect rule. So let's start with the fitness to rule and let's read Isaiah 11, 2 and 3. The, Lord, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the counsel, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So here in chapter 11, it's, it's a bit of a continuation of what we heard last week as we uh, learnt about 
who this child's saviour will be. And now we get this development of who he is, insight into what this saviour will do and how. And you see here how he will do it? It is through the Spirit, through God being with him. In fact, it's not just that the Spirit will be alongside him, it's that he is with God. He is God. You see, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. He is being equipped by God. Like a crown rests on the head is a symbol of authority. The Lord resting on him is the sign of the Savior's divinity. But it's not just symbolic authority that he can lead. It is the fact that this is God. See, unlike kings who take the throne because it is their birthright or because they've claimed the throne from killing someone else, this Messiah is the promised Messiah. And it's proven by the fact God is with him. The Spirit will help this true king rule. The Spirit will help him lead well. The Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. So this is so different to the leaders of the world. Isaiah 10 verse 13 talks about what it talks about the concern for worldly leaders who boast in their own strength that they have done things by their own might by their own wisdom but this is their downfall they don't boast in God but themselves but the true leader the true king his fitness is from God it's not his gung-ho ability or uh, palpable charisma. It comes from God. And because of this, he correctly responds and respects God. Do you see the use of fear of the Lord? It's repeated twice there that he will fear and knowledge, uh, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and that he will delight in the fear of the Lord. See, this is something that other rulers have missed. Rather than their respect and love for God driving decisions, it's been their selfishness and pride. This isn't talking about a fear of death, a fear of what God will do if they act wrongly. It's about a right reverence and all, having respect for who God is as their maker, as their creator, a respect for God being God. This is what the true ruler needs. And it's this attitude, this mentality of reverence to God that allows them then to act in the way that God would want, to have the same attitude, the same ambition as God, to care for and save God's people. 
Because without this same attitude, without this mentality, there is a diversion in plans as someone else is taken over by their own selfish rule. And this is so crucial because all throughout the Old Testament, we get this image of kings getting it wrong. Uh, In Deuteronomy chapter 17, it outlines how the king must live an upright life, Uh, how they aren't meant to hoard wealth, how they aren't meant to have many marriages, Uh, and it even goes to the point of saying that they should write this down and keep it with them to remind themselves every day. And then you turn to 1 Kings 11 and read about Solomon, and he has 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's not giving God the reverence and awe that he deserves. God's law has been completely ignored. The true king will give God the honour that he deserves, and that king is the one who is fit to rule. You see, that fitness, that attitude of the work of the Spirit in their lives is what shapes the character to rule. And this brings us to the next part, character to rule. You see, it continues on from verse 2 and 3 as we see in practice how this rule plays out. And this image is countercultural to the one that we see in our rulers today. And I think even more so uh, back then. You see, the, the big ruler, the big leader, is the one who moves fast, uh, does their own plan, never looks back, kind of drags people along with them. But here, the character of the ruler is very different. The ruler is not a steam train that barges through, but one who uses the gifts of wisdom gifts of understanding, of counsel, of might and knowledge. You see, he looks beyond what others see. The second half of verse 3, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. See, instead of doing what he just merely sees or his own preference, he judges with righteousness. He judges with justice to the poor and the needy. This is a salvation, salvation and hope for those who have never been cared for. Uh, In a society, particularly then, that oppressed the poor, there is a good judge who considers their needs. Where corruption has led to leaders hurting poor, the right and true king gives justice to the minority. And this is the complete opposite to Herod. Uh, In our Matthew reading, there's this picture of what Herod has done, and it's one of a fear. He hears from the Magi about what this new baby will do, that he is the promised king. 
and tries to convince the Magi to say, where is he? And why does he do this? In uh, the next chapter, we hear that it's because he wants to kill the baby. He wants to kill a helpless baby because this great king is threatened by an infant. This is a leader that doesn't have the interest of his people at heart, definitely not the interests of a helpless baby. This is a king with their own selfish needs. There is another side to this also. You see, the care and love of the true king towards those who have been hurt also requires judgment to the oppressor. The second half of verse 4 says, He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. There is judgment for those who have not followed God's law. There is judgment for those who have hurt God's people. But you see, this king doesn't do it out of malice, out of vengeance. He does it with righteousness, justice, faithfulness. Is not ego or selfish desire that dictates his rule and makes sure he oppresses those who might rise up. But it is love that drives his reign, love for those that he cares about, for his people. How much greater would our world be if all our leaders followed this same rule? if there wasn't fighting because they want their territories to grow, but that they looked out for the people that they are there to care for. This is the characteristics of the perfect ruler, to have righteousness and faithfulness govern all decisions. And this all comes from God. And it's through the spirit that he helps him. Helps him with wisdom, with might, and this correct fear and reverence of the Lord. It is only with this posture of the true king that hope is found. Hope that is then in a perfect, eternal ruler. And this brings us to point three, peace in his perfect rule. You see, the prophet has shown what the rule of the true king will look like. That it is a rule ordained by God himself as the spirit is put on this ruler. It is characterized by justice, Righteousness and faithfulness are towards God and to his people. And the prophet ends here with this beautiful image of what that rule looks like. As it looks 
forward to the hope and perfection that is to come with such a king in control. A king that brings back order and peace to creation. This isn't uh, necessarily now, but this is the hope that is ahead, the hope that awaits in heaven. It is the image of a perfect Eden, of the new creation. Uh, Look with me at verse 6 to 9. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hands in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. As the water covers the sea. This is the image of great perfection, of great beauty, of peace. As the wolf and the lamb together the lion and the calf together, where predator and prey are in peaceful relationship. I think this is such an incredible image considering parents can't even get their children to look after one another. I know my parents couldn't. This is such a beautiful picture of peace, of beauty. But not only that, there is a respect for creation order. You see there how the little child will lead. And this is stress that it is a little child. This isn't, this isn't a strong man who is there to discipline or can wrestle the bear and kill it. Or it's not a person who's dictating when they get food and so the animals are behaving. This is a little child, a harmless child one that could easily be prey to the lion or the bear. But with no persuasion, they obey the child and the child cares for them. This is a beautiful image, an image of trust, an image where there's rest, security, and hope. It is the image of an unfallen, unbroken world. It is, it is the image of a world where the justice that we see in verse 4 is played out, where all creation is united, where the weak and the poor are cared for, where the strong don't oppress. You see, I think this is epitomized in the safety of the child around the snake. It's there in verse 8. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hands in the viper's nest. 
It's an image where Satan and sin are no longer a threat, where the innocent child can play, put their hands near a cobra's nest. It is a place where sin is no more, where there is freedom, security, and no harm. It's the image of perfect unity, of restoration of creation. But it's not just creation. It's also restoration of relationship with God. Verse 9, they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. It's the image of God with his people as they are united on his holy mountain. This is a world where God is with his people, where they know him, where there's security and rest in him. And how? It's through the root of Jesse, this little shoot, which is Christ. This shoot brings the justice and restores all relationships. And see, as we think about what it is to have an authentic Christmas, this is a great reminder of the true king, the true king of Christmas, the true king who is God, who came with the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, This king that came not to judge and govern like rulers before him, but to save the earth. The king by which through his grace offers relationship, restoration with God. This is the king that gives hope to all who are in need and offers us relationship with himself and gives the hope of a perfect creation. This is the hope that we have. And I think so often over Christmas, we pause for a moment. The whole world pauses for just a moment, and experiences this peace and unity, but it's always fleeting. But how much greater is it that this isn't an offer of temporary hope? This is not an offer that lasts a day or two a year. This is the hope of eternity, the hope of perfect, everlasting unity with creation And with our God, a world where sin is removed, this is the hope that we have. From a hopeless stump to a life-giving shoot, Christ has made possible this unity and eternal life with God. This is the hope we can look forward to. 
as we remember what Christ has done this Christmas. See, friends, it is through Christ that we have this hope. Although all may have seemed lost, he has made a way for us to be with God. He has brought the restoration and relationship that we need. This is what the true and perfect king does. This is the hope we have in the reign of the true king. The reign of a king that leads to life. That leads to peace. That leads to perfection in him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending Christ to this world to be the true king. We thank you that he has done this for us and for the hope that we have in eternity through him coming to earth. Lord, this Christmas, please help us to remember this true and perfect king and that we might have hope in what he has done. Amen.